Good morning, and it is a good morning here in Teaneck. Can you hear that song? That's actually the FDU fight song that debuted last March during the team's historic run into the NCAA tournament, where, if you remember, they took down number one seed Purdue. It was kind of a big deal at the time. I was actually watching Big Ten Media Day and Purdue men's basketball head coach was talking about that game or was asked about that game, and he said, yeah, I think it'll uh, stick with me forever. I said, yeah, me too, Matt. Me too. But it is a good morning here in Teaneck. It is October the 11th. You're listening to WFDU HD3, the student voice of Fairleigh Dickinson University. It is 10.01 a.m. Eastern Time. And today, we got a packed show for you. we got a little Chuck's Corner to start. Then we're going to talk about men's soccer. They remained unbeaten in conference play. We're going to preview a big-time women's soccer matchup set to kick off on Thursday against Howard. And then we're going to wrap it up with some NFL Week 5 emotions. So, happy you're with us. And let's start with Chuck's Corner. And i got to be honest, it's a bit of a somber one. We have all been there, paralyzed in front of your television screen or frozen Numb to your surroundings, in the midst of thousands of silent fans leaving a desolate stadium. Convinced that you and those people may never find the words, or even the desire, to speak again. I struggle to name many more helpless feelings. One of your favorite sports teams just suffered a heartbreaking loss. I'm not talking about the loss that makes you angry. I'm not talking about the loss that ruins your mood for a few hours as you cuss and mumble under your breath. I am not even talking about the loss that makes you scream at the TV in your living room that makes your entire family view you differently. I'm talking about the loss that leaves you stunned. The loss that leaves you empty. The loss that makes you ask the deafening question that has no obvious answer. Why do I do this to myself? No doubt, every sports fan can immediately think of at least one devastating defeat that left them feeling this way. But what is it about these losses? What is it about them that sticks with you? Well, for one, and perhaps the most obvious factor, these games must have stakes. Whether it be a battle against a rival or an elimination game in the postseason, these games have to stand out on the importance scale. Stakes create anticipation, and anticipation creates nerves. For fans, the day of these games consists of a conflicting feeling in your gut between excitement and nervousness and constant glances at the clock, watching the hands tick and talk and tick and talk until eventually they tell you that it's time to determine your fate. Another aspect of these losses is expectation. You have to believe your team is going to win. This adds a certain potency to the inevitable hurt. Sometimes this belief is incredibly strong before the game and quickly vanishes when the action begins. Other times, this belief remains into the deep stages of the game. You may even experience moments of extreme confidence and elation where you are positive that this one's going your way. Poor soul, that makes it hurt so much worse. Which brings us to the next aspect, what I like to call the moment. 
There is always a moment in these games that stick a lump right in the center of your throat. It becomes clear. Things are slipping away. This is the moment that will be there when you close your eyes to sleep at night. The opposing team's star player bat-flipping a moonshot in the eighth inning. A daggering three-pointer that sucks the breath right out of your lungs. The shanked field goal that you are still waving to bend back right. This is the moment that flips your entire psyche. And it all starts to set in. Oh, this is going to hurt. Then there is the aftermath. These losses make you never want to watch the sport again. Like an ex-girlfriend you cannot get over, these losses are impossible to get off your mind. They linger and linger and can turn the most optimistic fan into an eternal pessimist. It is truly comparable to lost love. No matter what, you can go days, months, and even years without them crossing your mind. But when they do, oh, when they do, you are inevitably transported back to that lonely, numb place. But, lucky for us, we always give the teams opportunities to hurt us again. So yeah, I'm in a good place this morning. Tough loss for my Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, Two nights ago at this point, um has got me reflecting on heartbreaking sports losses because that was pretty far up there, but hopefully they can turn it around tonight. And let's not stay somber for too much longer. Let's talk about a team that has not done much losing lately. As we check in with the first place FDU men's soccer team, they began their week with the first ever matchup against Le Moyne and continued their seven-match winning streak on the pitch at University Stadium that dates back to 2022. Let's listen to how it sounded on NEC Front Row. Evening, everyone, and welcome here to University Stadium in Teaneck, New Jersey, just outside NYC for tonight's NEC Men's Soccer Showdown as it's the first ever meeting between the Lemoyne Dolphins, 1-4-4 four, and four on the season, and the FDU Knights, Four, two, and three. This game certainly had a feeling out process in the opening stages with neither team surrendering many chances. However, in the 37th minute, the Dolphins came oh so close to taking a one to nil lead. Fortunately for the Knights, Spencer King, as he has been all year, was ready to answer the call. Set piece opportunity. Stern running over it. A header attempt. King with a kick save. It's still loose right in front of the goal mouth. And FDU with sound defensive work got out of harm's way. But again, it was Spencer King who had to range down and actually make the save with his foot to keep that out of the back of the net. Closing into the final 10 seconds of the first half. So this first half, a bit of a snooze fest between these two sides who were sleepwalking through the first 45 minutes. Nothing to show for it. After taking just four shots in the first half, FDU ramped up the offensive intensity after the break and finally supplied some fireworks in the 54th minute. Plays it off to Gomez. Gomez, top of the box. Nice give and go. Geraldo near post side, takes the shot and scores! 
FDU gets their first goal of the night. And a beautiful give and go from Gomez to Geraldo. And FDU leads LeMoyne 1-0. In the 86th minute, FDU found some insurance as Jade Hamdawa continued to prove himself as one of the top goal scorers in the NEC. Here comes FDU. Hamdawa, flag stays down, chip shot attempt, takes the shot and scores! Jed Hamdawa continues his red-hot start to the NEC season. Give him his fifth goal in three conference games. And FDU leads 2-0. And FDU will be solid again offensively in the second half and shut down the door completely defensively as FDU defeats LeMoyne in the first-ever meeting between these new conference foes. A final score of FU2 and LeMoyne, nothing. That was Dan Long. You heard on the call on NEC Front Row, a 2-0 victory for the FU Knights over LeMoyne. LeMoyne new to the uh, Northeast Conference this year, making the jump from Division Two into Division One. And yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that matchup for, hopefully, years to come. That win... Moved FDU's home record this year to a perfect 4-0. and oh, Big storyline in that game, Jade Hamdua. He scored again. And if you listen to the show last week, we talked about it. He had four goals in the first two conference matches, including a hat trick in the NEC opener. Well, guess what? He scored again. Opposing teams cannot keep this guy off the board. It's his fifth goal in the last three matches of NEC play, and it was his third straight matchup with a goal. It was also the Knights' defense fifth clean sheet of the year. And we've seen them shut out really good teams like Villanova and St. Mary's, and now they're taking it into the conference schedule as well. They are incredibly hard to score against, backed by Knight of the Month, Spencer King, and just an incredible veteran-heavy, savvy, back defensive line. And this win also moved their conference record to 2-0-1 and kept them at the top of the table in the Northeast Conference. That wasn't their only game this week, though. They had a chance to make it 5-0 on the year at home on Sunday against Sacred Heart in a rematch of last year's NEC semifinal, a match that FDU took care of business easily against the Pioneers by a score of 3 to nothing. In this one, though, the offensive fireworks, they never went off as the Knights and Pioneers played to a scoreless draw. And this one was physical and chippy. There was definitely some testiness between the two teams. The Pioneers actually picked up six yellow cards. That's a, that's a long book for the official to keep. But there wasn't really too many quality chances for either side as FDU totaled just six shots in each half for a total of 12 and only were able to put three of those on goal. Spencer King only had two saves in this matchup. He did make a huge one late in the first half when Sacred Heart's leading goal scorer was in front of the net point-blank range, and Spencer King again just delivered another game-changing save. And this was the sixth shutout of the year for the Knights' defense that just continues to stifle teams. So now the Knights currently sit with eight points in the NEC. As I mentioned, that's good enough for the top of the table. 
St. Francis PA, a team that they already played and drawed with, has seven points. So they're just right behind them. But this is a team that's officially halfway through the conference schedule now. Four games remain. Merrimack, Stonehill, CCSU, and LIU. None of those teams have more than five points on the year. While three of these matches are on the road, it's certainly starting to look like and feel like, barring any drastic changes, I think this team is going to repeat as the NEC regular season champs. They certainly seem primed to do so. These are certainly winnable matches. And even if you take three of them, St. Francis PA is going to have to be perfect the rest of the way out to be able to overtake you in the Northeast Conference standings. And this would be a team that already has the most NEC championships under Seth Rowland in the conference. It would just be another great year, another banner year for the Knights. And looking back, how big is that draw at St. Francis PA? You remember, if, if you remember, after you actually fell behind one to nothing in that game on the road, so be able to get back in that game hold the red flash to one goal and eventually net one themselves and earn that point. Those are the types of games that make or break championship seasons. And with just four games left, we're hoping the FDU Knights can take home another NEC championship. Let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to preview a crucial NEC matchup in the women's soccer realm as the FDU Knights get set to take on Howard on Thursday. You're listening to the Night Zone. On WFDU HD3, the student voice of Fairleigh Dickinson University. We'll be right back. Back here on the Night Zone, you're listening live on 89.1 WFDU HD3, the student voice of Fairleigh Dickinson University. And let's talk about the FDU women's soccer team. And let's flash back a little bit. Let's time travel, why not? Not too long ago. Don't worry. We're not going too far back. We're just going to September 17th. The FDU women's soccer team just blew leads of 1-0 and 2-1 in a 3-2 loss at Merrimack in their NEC opener. This marked their 10th consecutive loss to start the year and moved their record to 0-10. They had seemingly found a new way to come up or a new way to lose games every time they went out on the pitch. Things were looking rather bleak. Now week or now three weeks and some change later, things have completely flipped. They have won three straight matches and four of their last five. They have not surrendered a goal in 370 minutes of play. That's three straight shutouts. And on top of that, in four of six conference games, They have shut out their opponents. On average, they are allowing less than a goal per game in the NEC. And the recognition for this defense is starting to come too. Last week, Marie Jakobsen was named Defensive Player of the Week, as well as Co-Rookie of the Week, obviously the freshman goalkeeper from Tarm, Denmark. And then this week, Andrea Ugard, Defensive Player of the Week, for her role as center back on this team. People are starting to take notice. And the offensive production is coming too. This isn't just a one-sided team. They are starting to put up complete performances. Some numbers. They've scored in six straight games. 
They have outscored their opponents 11-4 to in conference matches, and their average margin of victory is around two goals, and they are averaging 1.83 goals per game in conference play. Most recently, they tallied two second-half goals after a competitive first half in a 2-0 win against LIU. Katia Cardaba scored again, and Lena Dernberger also picked up a goal, the first of her collegiate career. And what's funny about that is Cardaba's goal was assisted by Dernberger, and then Dernberger returned the favor and assisted Cardaba's goal. And the recognition is coming here too. Katia Cardaba, named Rookie of the Week for her performance against LIU. So it's a lot of good news right now. Good vibes. All smiles. And a huge credit to head coach Eric Teepe and the rest of his coaching staff for being able to make the necessary adjustments to turn this thing around. This wasn't a magic switch. Things changed. We talked about it a little bit last week. Formations changed, roles changed, and that is the benefit of having a veteran coach or veteran coach like Eric Teepe who has been around long enough to deal with different types of personnel and locker rooms. I don't think it's unfair to say that a younger, less experienced coach would have struggled to keep the team together amidst that 10-game losing streak. I mean, you see it all the time, where talented teams just get off to a bad start and it absolutely dooms them. Because there's no leadership, there's not as big of a presence at head coach, but this team the 2023 FDU Knights, seem to be different. And also, we got to give credits to the vets. There's a couple of players on this team that have played a lot of collegiate soccer, like Naomi Hausen and Nina Carla Musto, Leanne Kafel and Kiyomi Lubron. They have played a massive part in writing the ship as well. And then when you can combine that veteran experience with the young talent on this team that's producing, by the way, you're going to get results. And that's exactly what we're seeing with this FDU Knights team. So now FDU sits in fourth place in a really tough NEC with 12 points. I mean, to be 4-2 and and sit in fourth in the table, that's a difficult spot. That's one where you're like, oh, really? feel like we should be higher. But it is the reality of the situation. And in third place, just a point ahead of FDU with 13 points, is Howard. And they come into Teaneck this Thursday. With just four conference games remaining, this has huge, and I mean huge, NEC tournament ramifications in regards to seeding. If either of these teams wants one of the top two spots and a bye, which is currently held by CCSU and Merrimack, they got to win this game right here. Three points is a must. Beyond that, a win here almost guarantees a home first-round playoff game, whether that comes with the bye or whether you play in that 3-6-4-5 matchup where you get that game at home, which is on October 29th, by the way. It's coming up quick. So it's a huge, huge game and most likely is going to determine who is the three seed 
in the conference tournament. And Howard's going to be a tough test. They're a really good soccer team. They have a lot of history there. This is their second year in the NEC. In the NEC, or third year, excuse me, third year in the NEC. This is a team that won SWAC titles, that got to NCAA tournaments in the past, and are now winning a lot of games in this conference as well. But it's a matchup that I'm sure will deliver a fun, exciting battle. So let's break it down a little bit. Why not? First, you have this goalkeeper matchup between two freshman studs. We start with Marie Jakobsen for FDU. Jakobsen is tied for first in the NEC in shutouts. Third in total saves. She gets a lot of shots fired at her. And fourth in saves per game. Her goals against average and save percentage have dropped dramatically in recent weeks as she continues to get more comfortable in her box and gain more and more experience. She is just really sure-handed. And what I like about Marie Jakobsen's game is she doesn't play like a freshman goalkeeper. She's out there directing the defense. She's vocal. She takes control of the game in a way that you don't really see many freshmen do. But guess what? Howard's got a freshman goalkeeper of their own. And she is also fantastic. Trinity Knox. She leads the conference in saves and goals against average. She has a gaudy save percentage of 83.3 and has allowed multiple goals in just two games this year. Only two opponents have been able to beat her twice in a full 90 minutes. Also, she has three shutouts. Both of these keepers are going to be extremely tough to beat. When or if one of these teams score on Thursday night, it's going to be a huge moment. And that's what you want out of these late conference games in October. Hopefully it's a little chilly in the air. When these moments feel like playoff soccer, that's what I'm looking forward to. But like FDU, this Howard is not uh, this Howard team is not a one-sided sword. It's double-sided. You have this Howard offense that is really tough to contain. They are led by Malaya Early, who already has nine goals on the year. That is second in the NEC. She's got three multi-bowl games on the season and has totaled 21 career goals. But she's not on her own. She's got awesome facilitators. Samantha James and Marley Berry. How about this? They're tied atop the conference and assist with five apiece. And guess what? They can score two. Barry has five goals on the year, and Samantha James has two herself. They have been tough to slow down, and they're averaging two goals per game in conference play. So you have these two teams that are playing really well in the conference, and you just wonder what's going to give. You have FDU, who doesn't give a lot up a lot of goals, and they've also been able to score nearly two goals per game. And almost identical to this Howard identity, they don't give up a lot of goals, and they do score two goals per game. So it's a big test for FDU, and it's also a really good measurement for both of these teams to determine where they are. A win here 
And there's no reason to believe that this team is not good enough to go out and win another NEC title. And it's the same for Howard. They beat FDU on the road. That should give them the confidence that when they inevitably play in their first NCAA tournament this year, that they have as good a shot to win it as anybody. This game is Thursday at 7 p.m. You can watch it on NEC Front Row. I'll be on the call, and again, I'm just really looking forward to that atmosphere again. Maybe it's going to be a little cold. Maybe it'll be a little testy. Both of these teams need the points. It's going to feel like playoff soccer. It's going to be a competitive back-and-forth game. I don't think there's going to be a lot of scoring, but there's a lot of talented goal scorers on the field. And yeah, should be an awesome, and I mean an awesome, NEC women's soccer battle. Let's take another break, but when we come back, we're going to wrap it up with some NFL chat GPT emotions. You're listening to The Night Zone on 89.1 WFDU HD3, the student voice of Fairleigh Dickinson University. Back here on The Night Zone on 89.1 WFDU HD3, the student voice of Fairleigh Dickinson University, and let's wrap things up with some NFL talk. We're five weeks through the NFL season already. And I know it can be hard to verbalize how you're feeling and even sort out how you are feeling about each team and the season in general. There's a lot of conflicting emotions, things of that nature. I struggle with this as well. So to make this easier for myself, I did a little exercise. Since we already use AI for almost everything, I asked ChatGPT to give me five emotions and describe them. Once I read about the emotion, I thought of the first NFL team or storyline that came to mind when feeling that way. These were the results. The first emotion started out pretty intensely, I can't lie. Ecstasy. An intense and overwhelming feeling of joy, pleasure, or happiness. You know who's feeling intensely joyous right now? San Francisco 49ers fans. They had arguably their biggest test of the season against Dallas and passed with flying colors, destroying them by a score of 42-10. to 10. They are winning games by an average of 19.8 points per game this year. This is not the Georgia Bulldogs playing non-conference games against FCS schools. This is an NFL football team that is absolutely pounding professional football teams. It's both ways, too. They have held all but one opponent to under 20 points. They have surrendered 12 points or less to three of those opponents. Across the board, they're dominating defensively. And then, they're third in total yards. They're third in rushing. They're third in passing. Ridiculous numbers. I mean, absolutely ridiculous numbers. Brock Purdy, like, the dude literally has never lost an NFL game. I'm not sure any coach in the league has the formula to beat them. They're too talented and too deep in almost every single area that is important to a football team. Like, I ask you, like, what is the anti-Niners take? I have not seen a good one, and I've tried very hard as an Eagles fan to think of one, and I 
can't. The one maybe is Brock Purdy, but how many games does the guy have to win before we just give him that full-blown belief? You know, this guy's capable. He's more than capable. The trade for Christian McCaffrey worked as well as possible. Again, you, you hit on Brock Purdy, which is unbelievable. Debo and Ayuk are legit stars. So congrats, Niners fan, on this current state of ecstasy that you are living in. Next emotion, ChatGPT gave me envy. Feelings of jealousy and resentment towards someone who possesses something desirable that you lack. I think there are very few teams that Bill Belichick is not envious right now, or envious of right now. And you know what he's jealous of? They're quarterbacks. Man, Mac Jones kind of stinks. The Pats are 19th in passing, barely over 200 yards per game. Mac has thrown five touchdowns and six interceptions. In my opinion, this is the biggest reason their rushing offense can't get going, just 26 in the league. Teams are just selling out against the run because they know Mac Jones can't beat them regardless. The Patriots know it too. There's no rhythm to this passing game. It's not dynamic at all. Once they get behind, they're pretty much cooked. Think for a minute. How many starting QBs would you take Mac Jones over? Josh Dobbs? Sure. Sam Howe? I'll give you that. Zach Wilson? I'm pausing for a reason. Seriously, though, anytime a question gets posed like that about your quarterback and the first name that I think of is Josh Dobbs, you might stink. And no doubt Bill is looking around the league with intense jealousy, like the Bucks figuring it out with Baker Mayfield and wondering to himself, how is this year three of Mac Jones, our first-round pick, that once upon a time took us to the playoffs? And I have this rule with quarterbacks that once this thought starts to set in or starts to creep up to your mind, no matter how badly you don't want it to be there, it's probably over. History tells us that quarterbacks do not dramatically improve when things look as bad as they have for Mac Jones. I can confidently say that he'll never be a Super Bowl winning quarterback. And Pats fans are probably envious of, I don't know, like, Carter Minshew? Contentment. A feeling of peaceful satisfaction with one's current state. If I am the Philadelphia Eagles, I am perfectly content with how the season has gone. There have been some critics out there that have pointed out flaws in their wins and maybe even accurately pointed out issues like their red zone offense, for example. But guess what? They're 5-0, and second in total offense, second in rushing, and 10th in passing. They're also top 10 in defense with a plus 3 in the turnover margin. The Eagles seemingly have this way of not blowing out teams, but also are always in control or feels like they can be in control at the snap of their finger. And a big part of this is the ground game. They can just utilize it to absolutely take control of time of possession and almost take the air out of the other team when momentum is rolling for them. It has not been perfect. But 
when the offense has needed a drive or points to get things on track, Hertz and company has delivered. Look at the Rams game, the end of the first half. They needed points on that drive, and that's what they did. The defense, except for one last-minute drive against Washington, has gotten really timely stops. So now they go Jets, Dolphins, Commanders, and then have this gauntlet of Dallas, Kansas City, Buffalo, 49ers, and Dallas again. What a stretch. And that's the biggest reason, though, why I'm content with the Philadelphia Eagles. That is when they will need their absolute best football. Also, we've seen what they're capable of. This is not a team that needs to prove anything to me. What they need to do right now is fine-tune things and accumulate wins against teams that they should beat. And that is exactly what they're doing. At worst, they're going to be 7-1 and entering that brutal stretch. And last time I checked, that's pretty darn good in the NFL. Indignation. A strong and righteous anger in response to perceived injustice. The NFL schedule makers are committing crimes, literal crimes, against football fans. For the fourth time in six weeks, the New York Giants are in prime time again. This time on Sunday night in Buffalo. I am sure Giants fans are really looking forward to this, he said sarcastically, setting up some unbelievable numbers about how bad the Giants have been in prime time. They've been outscored 74-15 to in three primetime games this year. Offensively, that's five points per game, which is coincidentally how many points I averaged my senior year of CYO basketball. They have lost these games by an average of 33 points per game. Blowout, blowout, blowout. NFL, why did you do this to us? Why did you put such a belief in this team that has some very clear flaws, by the way, after one nine-win season? And now we are subjected to standalone duds almost every week. They only have one more after this week, thankfully. And I know there's not much the NFL can do right now. But maybe on Sunday night, during Football Night in America, which is NBC's pregame show, maybe Roger Goodell can come on shake Jason Garrett's hand, and issue an on-air apology. Can you imagine? It would go a long way with me. Well, it does look like Saquon Barkley is coming back this week, so maybe the Giants will keep the game within two scores. Regret is where we'll wrap things up. Sorry to end things on such a low note, but... A feeling of sadness or disappointment over past decisions and actions. Let's talk about the Daniel Jones contract. Nah, I'm just kidding. We'll leave Giants fans alone for a little bit. So let's talk about the Baltimore Ravens instead. They're going to regret Sunday. They let one slip away against the Steelers. Led late, bad turnover, open the door. Steelers come back, wins. George Pickens running down the sideline. If the Ravens hung on, they would have been 4-1 and one, and two wins clear of everybody else in the division. Sitting pretty after five games. Now, they are tied with Pittsburgh, and Cleveland is just a half game behind. That's a game that completely changes the outlook of division. 
they're still in a good spot. Like I, I do believe they are the best team in the AFC North. But it's hard to believe when late in the year when playoff seating is on the line that they won't be looking back at that one and thinking, man, mm, I wish we had that one. It also in some ways gives a Pittsburgh Steelers team life. Pittsburgh has delivered some lackluster performances and at times this year has seemed like they're not ready to be in any serious conversation in the AFC, in the AFC North. But they're talented, a little bit frisky, and you can't give frisky teams momentum, gritty teams momentum. This win might make them up or wake them up. And the Steelers can quickly get hot after a win like this. Well, that'll do it. NFL Week 6 set to kick off on Thursday night. Got another London game this week, actually. So looking forward to that one. And that'll do it for us here on the Night Zone. Again, women's soccer for FDU will play on Thursday at 7 p.m. versus Howard. Women's volleyball has two home matches this week, Friday versus Stonehill and Saturday versus Merrimack. And men's soccer is on the road on Sunday at Merrimack. You can watch all of those games on NEC Front Row. We thank you for joining us on this week's edition of the Night Zone. For Charlie Carmelo signing off, we hope to see you next week.